Good morning, everyone. I want to tell you something that most people know about me, but not everyone. Every morning when I wake up, I can't see anything, like nothing. Uh, I have really bad eyesight. And it's to the point that when my kids come into my room and wake me up, either in the middle of the night or in the morning, they're used to me saying the same exact thing. Help me find my glasses. <laughs> Where are my glasses? And they always respond the same way, which is, Mom, they're on the nightstand just like you left them last night. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't see them. It doesn't matter that the nightstand is only like this big. I don't know where they are. <laughs> and so they have to find them for me, and then I put them on my face, and then all of a sudden, I can see. And then I can get my contacts in, and then I can really see. My kids joke about it, and when I'm wearing uh, my glasses, they'll take them off my face, and they'll say, can you see me? Do you know who I am? And I'm like, well, obviously, but no, no, I can't. I can't see you. I can't see them. We're in this 40-day period leading up to Easter called Lent. And in church traditions, it's sort of the season where people take a little bit of extra time to focus their time and energy and attention to Jesus to prepare themselves for his death and his resurrection. Now, last week, I invited the congregation in a journey that sort of um, would help us uh, uh, focus on Jesus. It includes what we're doing here on Sunday, but it extends much, much more than that. It was this invitation to sort of put on a pair of kingdom glasses every day so that you could begin to learn to see the kingdom more clearly, specifically so that we can see the kingdom of God that Jesus announced had come near, that was right around us in our everyday spaces, right? So I invited you to participate in a daily practice to put on these kingdom glasses. And it looked like this last week, that in the morning, you would listen to the Holy Spirit, right? That's a part of our bells, that you would sort of ask the Holy Spirit, hey, where can I see your kingdom? Where am I supposed to be paying attention? Where am I supposed to be looking, right? And then in the afternoon, you would take some time to learn about Jesus, also part of our bells. And specifically to ask the question, what does the kingdom come near look like? And I invited you to read the, chap the gospel of Mark chapters 1 through 3 and break that up for the course of the week to learn about Jesus. And then in the evening to say, take some time to reflect on the spaces where you were sent. Where did you see the kingdom come near? Where did it happen? Where did you pay attention to it? Now, here's what I want you to do now. I want you to actually turn to the people around you and I want you to share one thing that happened as a result of engaging in this challenge. Now, I recognize that like probably, probably very few of us, if anybody, was able to do this every day, all three times faithfully. I get that. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm just looking for, tell me what happened. Like, even if it was, hey, I was able to do it like one time, one day. That's fine. Just what happened as a result of engaging in this process? And if you were like, yeah, I've, like, I heard it last Sunday, but then I didn't hear it again until right now. That's totally fine. Like, we're not interested in, like, shaming people or anything like that. We just want to make sure that we have an opportunity to share the good news of what God is doing in our lives, okay? So I want you to turn to the people next to you, hopefully not just somebody you came with, but you have an opportunity to meet somebody else around you. Um, we do these kinds of things pretty normally where we like to, we call them broccoli time. It's like eating your vegetables, and I know lots of people 
people hate it. I get it, but it makes us stronger as the body of Christ. So turn to somebody next to you, and I want you to share one thing that happened as a result of engaging in this challenge. And if you didn't do it, no shame. Just say, yeah, I, I didn't do that, or I didn't know about it. And that's fine. All right, ready? Go. All right, one more minute. All right, 15 more seconds. Go ahead and wrap up your thought. All right, okay, so before we get started in our passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at today, I actually wanted to invite my friend Teresa to come on up. Will you guys welcome Teresa? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even long enough to get her up here. Like, keep going. Thank you. Okay, so step on the rug, join me on the carpet. <laughs> Right? People always like to sneak off the side. Okay, so this is Teresa. Teresa, you've been, you've been coming to church here for years. Oh my gosh, yeah, that's right, like five years, something like that. Okay, um, so I invited Teresa to come up and share with um, you all because, Teresa, you have recently developed this passion for reading and studying scripture. And so I wanted to ask first, like, where did that come from? How did that happen that all of a sudden you're like... On fire. On fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's, it's, um, so I'm 58 years old and. Which is a shock. <laughs> okay. But, you know, so I've been around, you know, as a disciple, as a Christian for, uh, for quite a while. Um, and so I was going through some things recently. Um, you know, you can get in the routine of, you know, coming to church and 
like, you know, you walk around and you're talking to God and everything, right? And, uh, but I was feeling like I didn't have any purpose. As much as I was, like I felt like I was doing, um, you know, works and everything, I didn't, I just didn't feel like, uh, like I had a purpose. Mm -hmm. And so, um, when you're not reading the Bible, then a little thoughts um, starts to uh, sort of creep in your head as well, right? You know, if you're not reading the Bible. And so I said, you know, I gotta do, I gotta do something that, uh, about um, uh, what's happening within, because I don't understand it, you know, feeling like I'm, you know, in, in, in no man's land. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was just kind of frustrated. I didn't understand. And I'm like, okay. So I do these things. I'm like, but okay, and I and I may make it, you know, into the kingdom of God. <laughs> uh, so, you know, what else is there, you know? And uh, so that's why I started to read the Bible. Um, and it's just recently, so you know, like you can always open the book, yeah. you know, and read a verse here and there. But I mean, really diving in, dive in and get intimate with Jesus. Yeah, it's the only way. To, to really get that deep, deep uh, relationship, to understand who Jesus Christ is and why we're here. Yeah. And we're not at all, like, I'm not bringing Teresa on, up on stage because she is, like, the picture of, like, perfection <laughs> tied in a bow. She knows all the scripture and how it all fits together. Like, we're just going to, like, I just want to dismantle that yeah. thought that, because yeah. I think sometimes we get this in our minds that we don't get to speak up about what we're learning or what we're doing or the way we're coming alive until, like, we've got it all figured out. And that's not what we're saying. But this is something to get excited about, that whenever there's an awakening in our spirit, whenever there's a found connection with God, like, why would we not share about that, right? So, yeah. Well, you know, it's because we don't have things together mm -hmm. that we really need to dive into the Word of God, right? We know we have issues. Yeah. Every one of us have issues, and yes, we have the grace of God, but I mean, if you don't read the Bible, you know, I hear, like, I've had discussions with you know, Jennifer and, you know, the people like, you know, you know, I don't read the Bible. Why? I got so sick and tired of hearing myself say that. Mm. Open a book. Dive in and read the Bible. You a saw lot of, your, that in yourself. In myself. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes, in yeah. myself. But I have, but there may be others who feel the same way. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so that was really, you know, uh, yeah. you know, the conviction I had. And so what did I do about it, right? So I looked for, <laughs> looked for a class on how to study the Bible. Mm. And so, um, you know, it was very helpful, but it was, you know, it wasn't really what I was expecting. You know, we, uh, the, uh, uh, one of the teachers chose the book of Jude, and it was, you know, it was because it was short. Um, but it had a good message, and, uh, you know, basically it was showing me how to, uh, uh, how to use footnotes and, and uh, some of the cross references. And, uh, you know, it just wasn't really what I was looking for, but it was helpful. Yeah. And so now that you're diving into scripture and you're really reading regularly, what are you seeing is, what is changing in your life in the way that you experience God and you experience the rest of the world? What I learned is that uh, God made me, you, you, and you to love me. He made us to love us. 
And uh, he made us to uh, live life for eternity, mm -hmm. not just for today, but forever. And once you get that concept and once you believe it, then you have a, a, a purpose for living. I don't mm -hmm. care if you, you know, have the best job in the world. If you don't have that intimate relationship with Christ, there, there's just, you don't have the, you don't have the uh, real purpose of life. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna put it out there, you just don't have it. Mm -hmm. And so just, uh, you know, being more intimate uh, will help you to have, you know, even, uh, will help you to have uh, like deeper relationships with other people as well. Mm -hmm. You know, because if you don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus, how do you really know how to have a real intimate relationship with other people? You know what I'm saying? I mean, um, you know, there's a lot of acquaintances and stuff, but it's having that, you know, deep understanding of what it really means to love and give back. Yeah. You know, so, if you don't open the, go, yes, Yeah, no, no, that's great. Do, go ahead. So, okay, okay, okay. All right. If someone in the room um, was sort of related to what you said in terms of like, oh, I don't read my Bible, but you know, I don't know how to do it or what to do, or I just never really have the, uh, uh, I never really make it a priority. Um, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them? Maybe just like give them a little shove. <laughs> or what would you say to encourage them in order to, Get to work? <laughs> No. In order to in order to engage in the practice of like reading and studying yeah. scripture, of learning Jesus. Yeah. Um, first of all, that has to be like it's simply like this. It's a matter of life and death. Oh. It's a matter of life and death. Uh, if you don't read the word, how do you get fed? How do you know who Jesus is? How do you know how to live as a Christian or, or as a believer? You know, Christians use so many times. It's you know, it's, you know, people, it's, how do you live as, how do you live as a child of God? Mm. You know what I'm saying? How do you learn how to build up the kingdom, building up the kingdom, building up the kingdom of, how do you learn how to do that? Song. I don't know the song. You don't know the song, okay. <laughs> That's because I didn't sing it very well. <laughs> but, um, but how do you yeah, learn how to do those do things without opening yeah. the book and, and having, so, so I would say it's just, it's just, um, uh, Make time, like maybe you can find like a uh, like a place or time, you know, and and just don't wait to find yourself in a hole, mm -hmm. you know, or feel you know feel desperate, you know, because even before God created the the even before He He created the earth, He thought to to create us as human beings. That's how much He loves us. So He wants us to understand who He is and why He why He is and all that. So just kind of like. Um, Find a space, make a space, whether mm. it's in the morning or in your car, you know, in the bathroom, you know, and just start with, with uh, like the Gospels. I think that's a good, you know, place because it really talks about who Jesus is. Um, I hope I'm answering your question. You're doing great. Um, even if you have to go for a walk and just, uh, you know, park yourself on the bench. You know, just somewhere where you can, or we can have uh, like a deep sort of devotion, 
And I don't have it all together yet. I'm still learning all these things at my age. So it's never too late. Mm. Never too late. Yeah. That's great. Did I answer your question? You did great. Okay. You did great. Can we thank Teresa for sharing? I know it's not an easy thing to get up here. Thank you. Love that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Teresa. Um, so yes, I would just encourage you, uh, take this opportunity, take this season stepping up to Easter in order to engage in these practices, to find time in the morning to listen, in the afternoon to learn, and in the evening to just reflect on the ways that we've been sent. Um, at the end of today, I'm actually going to give you sort of like, hey, here's the next sort of set. It's the same practice, but maybe a different set of questions. I'll tell you where we're at in the book of Mark, um, so you can jump on and follow along with us. We Jesus came so that we might have life and life to the full, and like Teresa was saying, that um, engaging in Christ's presence and God's presence like transforms the way we experience life. Um, so we've been reading the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark, believe, Mark is believed to be the story as written down um, from Peter. So Peter was a follower of Jesus. He was also a fisherman, and so he probably didn't know how to read. He probably didn't know how to write. And so John Mark, um, the, the historical accounts is that John Mark wrote down the story of Peter. As Peter had gone from town to town to town to share his story, John Mark is sort of writing it down. And he's sort of capturing it as Peter is imprisoned at the hands of Nero. And there was such an immediacy to the story to get it written down before he died, to get it written down before it was lost. And so Mark begins his gospel. Mark begins this story that Peter has told him with this call for like lights, camera, action. And we talked about this last week, how Mark begins with the lights, this declarative statement about who he believes Jesus is. And then he calls the camera, right? There's this prophecy from Isaiah that's being fulfilled, that there's this history, there's this messenger in the wilderness. And then there is action. Jesus steps onto the stage and enters in. And Jesus's first words are this. The time has come. All of history is moving in this direction. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. It's not far away and distant as we all might have thought. It's not just on the other side of death. It is here. It is now. It is in our very presence. And so Jesus says, repent and believe. And Peter wants to make sure, like he's said this, and he wants to make sure that we understand that this is the summary statement, that all the other things we're going to hear Peter tell us about through John Mark, all the other stories, all of the other parables, all of the other things that happen fit into this summary statement, that the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe. And Jesus begins to demonstrate this. That as the king has come near, so comes the kingdom. Jesus begins to show what it is that this kingdom looks like, right? We looked at these passages last week. This is what you read about in Mark 1 through 3. Jesus begins to heal people. People begin to be accepted that had been excluded for all of their life. People begin to be cleansed. And because the kingdom has come near, healing has come near, and celebration has come near, authority has come near, rest has come near, power has come near. We sort of read through those passages and we wrote them on the white pieces of paper across the room. This is how we've seen the kingdom come near. Because the kingdoms come near, so have these other things. 
And it's so mind-blowing what Jesus is doing that all the people from all around the countryside and all around Galilee and all around Nazareth, they're all coming near. They're all leaning in. And by the end of the first chapter in Mark, Jesus can't even remain in town anymore. Like there's too many people all around him. Like they won't fit anywhere Jesus goes. This crowd swarms him and they like have to leave the town. There's so many people that want to know about this kingdom, that want to experience this new kingdom that had come near. And Mark tells us the crowds are growing and the crowds are growing. And Peter and Mark tell us about how the crowds are growing so much that they actually mention the crowds 34 times. The crowds, the crowds, the crowds. They grew. They were big. They had to leave town. And it's amazing and everything's getting exciting and Jesus' power and his influence is building and his authority is building. And there's this growing sense of anticipation and expectation and what's going to happen. But if you read Mark 1 through 3 carefully this past week, you might have noticed that there was something really un, 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 unexpected that was sort of peppered in. It was something really confusing because it was totally counterintuitive to what they were telling us about the crowds growing and the influence mounting. Everything is going bigger and bigger and bigger. And what did you notice? There was something totally counterintuitive to this growing fame. I'm going to like go out on a limb here and I'm going to ask, did anybody notice what seemed counterintuitive? And if nobody has the answer, that's okay. The group wanted to kill him. Anything else? Yeah, he kept telling people, like, don't tell what I'm doing. <laughs> Anything else? He kept leaving <laughs> the crowds. He kept retreating back, right? There's this thing where he starts casting out demons and then even though the evil spirits like know who Jesus is, Jesus is like, mm, shut your mouth. Don't say anything. Don't tell them who I am. He heals this guy with leprosy. And then he says, okay, okay, like go to the priests, show them that you're clean, but like don't tell anyone that it was me, right? He does these miracles. The crowds gather. He pulls back. He's like, I don't want anyone to know. I don't want this to go too big. And the disciples are like, hey, hey, there's a crowd over here. There's a crowd over here. Come, let's go. Let's give the people what they want. And Jesus is like, uh, now let's move on somewhere else. He says, you know what? I'm going to leave this area, and I'm going to go spend some time alone with my heavenly Father. Whenever it seems like Jesus, this Jesus thing is ready to go big, Jesus goes small. He gets quieter. He gets more hidden. Things get more ordinary. And it's so upside down, it's confusing. See, we need kingdom glasses, kingdom lenses in order to see what is going on. The logic and wisdom of this world has left us like totally blurry when it comes to being able to see the kingdom clearly. We think important and meaningful things are in the crowds are in the lofty, are the rare and the exotic. And when we put our kingdom glasses on, all of a sudden our eyes begin to focus and see what the kingdom things, see what kingdom things really look like. We begin to have our brains ping at something different than they pinged at before. 
So often we miss the beauty and the importance of what is small. We disregard what's common. We glaze past the ordinary and call it insignificant. But then here we are, we see this king who moves into the small just as things are about to go big. What is this kingdom all about? What does this kingdom actually look like? And I think that Peter wanted to make us feel the same tension and confusion that he probably felt walking through this with Jesus. So I just imagine that as he's like dictating this story to John Mark and telling him what to write, I imagine the conversation went something like this. Like Peter's like, okay, now we have to help everyone understand what's going on with this kingdom. We need to give them some kingdom lenses so that they see and understand why Jesus keeps pulling away from the crowds, why he keeps telling those that have witnessed this most amazing thing not to say anything. So, so write this down. Jesus is teaching on a lake and a crowd comes. And Mark's like, not with the crowds again. Like we got it 34 times. We've got it. There's always a big crowd. And Peter's like, no, write it. There's a big crowd. It's important. So Jesus gets on a boat and he goes out into the water and everyone gathers at the water's edge. And then Jesus tells these four stories, but we're going to call them parables because they're really not just stories. They're like these true analogy stories that seem really simple, but actually are super, super spiritually deep. And they're going to help people understand how to see the kingdom, what it is that they need to look for. Now this week in our challenge that I'm inviting you into. Um, you're going to read all four of those parables in Mark chapter 4, but today we're just going to look at the last one, which starts in verse 30. If you want to pull out your Bibles, you're welcome to. We're in Mark chapter 4, verse 30. And what we're told is that Jesus, at the end of this long teaching series of these four parables, he tells the last one, and he says this, Again, he said, again, Jesus said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Hmm. Hmm. Have you ever played a word association game? Right? Where like somebody says one word and then you say the first word back that immediately comes to your brain. Okay, here, I'm going to do it now. You say it out loud. You're all going to say something different or maybe all the same and that's fine. Let's try it. Um, dog. Beautiful. Cat. Great. Um, mouse? Okay. Food? <laughs> okay. There were some that we were pretty united on and some that we were just all over the place. And that's fine. Here's the deal. Back then in the ancient world, in Eastern literature, if you were to say this word kingdom, there's a word association that would have popped up into everyone's brain. It would have been like sequoia. Massive oak. It would have been the biggest tree that they could possibly have imagined. That's the word association for this kingdom thing. So when Jesus is standing there on the boat as everyone's listening, and he's like, hmm, the kingdom of God, how shall I describe it? What do I liken it to? Hmm, the kingdom. They all would have been expecting sequoia, huge tree that you can drive a car through, like massive empire. And then Jesus says, it's like a mustard seed. What? It's not 
not a mustard seed. That's the wrong word association. Where, where did that come from? Where did that come from? That's, that's not it. That would be like somebody saying the word dog and somebody else saying the word hippopotamus. That's the first word they thought of. You're like, no, that's, I mean, there's many options, but that one's wrong, right? The correct answer is massive tree. And oftentimes what people would imagine when they thought of kingdom was not just a massive tree. It was a massive tree that was so big that birds could take refuge in that tree, that that was the image of the subjects of the kingdom being protected and thriving in the tree. But Jesus says, mustard seed. Mustard seed, that's, that's so, that's so, that's not right. That's so ordinary. You can find mustard plants and mustard seeds anywhere. That's not unique and rare like a big sequoia tree. And the daily these people would have bumped into mustard seeds. There's nothing special or significant about them. And then Jesus continues, it's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all of the seeds. In fact, one time I was teaching on this passage and I actually got a bunch of mustard seeds as an illustration and I passed them around to a group of students that I was teaching so they would get this idea of how small these things are. So I passed them through the first kid and the first kid spills the entire package on the floor and they, got, they disappeared in the low pile carpet. Like that was it, right? So good, I mean it worked, right? It, it worked. They're the smallest of all the seeds. See, we have this tendency to look for the kingdom of God in the great sequoias. But Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts super small. It almost seems to be insignificant, common. It's, it's ordinary. And then Jesus continues, yet when this very small seed, this ordinary seed is planted, it grows and it becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. There's the birds. Hmm. Did he just say a garden plant? Now, you may not ever have any desire to plant mustard in your garden to grow it. However, th these people that were the original listeners, they would have been avid mustard plant knowledge people. They would have known about the mustard plants. When Jesus said that it was a garden plant, they probably would have been like, uh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> don't put it in your garden. Do you know why you don't put a mustard plant in your garden? It is so invasive. It will take up everything because this little plant will grow into a bigger bush, but then have thousands and thousands of seeds that just shake off in the wind and spread everywhere. And then you have another plant that pops up and shakes its seeds off in the wind. And within like a season or two, you have mustard plants taking over your entire garden. And they would have been like, no, 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 you don't, excuse me, sir. <laughs> don't put that in your garden, right? But I think that's Jesus's point. I think that's Jesus's point that this little seed that when it gets into stuff, it's packed with the potential to take over the entire garden. 
This little thing has all the life embedded in it, needed to take over the entire garden, to take over everything, to get into everything, to invade the space. And not only does it invade the garden, it becomes so powerful that the thing that once threatened it now finds shelter in it. Like, think about that, that idea of the birds. Now, Jesus tells this um, parable, you'll read it this week. Jesus tells this parable a little bit earlier about this other seed story where there's these birds that come and eat the seeds. Now, you have to be careful not to mix parables as you're reading scripture. Like, they each contained a thing in and of themselves. But it is interesting that in one parable, the birds eat the seeds, and that's like this dangerous thing. And, and that's true naturally, birds eat seeds. Like, if you ever want to plant grass or whatever, you got to cover it with straw so the birds don't come and just take the seeds, they take the straw instead, right? Um, birds are the enemy to seeds. Birds are the thing that threatens the start of the kingdom. And yet here, what we have is the thing that seemed so small that it was threatened by birds becomes so big that it now sh shelters and provides haven and rest for the thing that once threatened it. The kingdom is that expansive. The seed is that has that much tremendous power to grow and expand and become the, bigger than the thing that once towered over it. The thing that seemed impossible to conquer, the thing that seemed to stop the kingdom from moving forward, now takes shelter in the kingdom. And so here's the thing. Addiction, rage, a drive to perfection, anxiety, depression, cancer, family brokenness, work strange, strain, financial obstacles that right now seem to be the thing that is stealing the ability of the kingdom of God to flourish in your life. <laughs> might one day be the thing that finds rest and home and healing in the kingdom of God. If that's not hope, I don't know what is. That is the kingdom of God. It has, it's very small, but it has this potential for invasive, life-giving, transformative power. And it comes in these small, ordinary, insignificant ways. While the kingdom might grow to be like 3,000 people worshiping in a congregation together, the seed is sitting at the table with one of them and engaging in life together. That the end, the kingdom might look like the end of injustice in our towns and in our cities, but the seed that packs the potential for the kingdom of God to transform is the simple act of loving our neighbor across the street. That while the kingdom might grow to be our lives and our marriages and our relationships being redeemed and becoming healthy and alive, the seed starts with opening our Bibles and bowing our heads. That these simple, everyday, ordinary things have the powerful potency for kingdom transformation. There's two quotes that I want to read you. One's a little long and one's pretty poetic, so stay with me here. 
but I think there's just a richness in them. This first one's by a guy named Scott McKnight. He's a theologian, and I'll just read it. A mustard seed is considered by Jesus' contemporaries as the smallest of seeds. Why does the mustard seed attract comparison to the kingdom of God? Because for Jesus, the kingdom is about the ordinariness of loving God and loving others. The kingdom is as common as sparrows, as earthy as backyard bushes, as routine as breakfast coffee, as normal as aging. He hallows the ordinary act of love, making it extraordinary. The kingdom of God is the transforming presence of God in ordinary humans. Okay, ready for the poetic one? Yeah, that wasn't the poetic one. Earth is crammed with heaven, and every common bush a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. You got to really, you got to have like that poetic mind to get that. But it's this whole idea that every common bush is like the burning bush that Moses met with where God inhabits and he sees it and he takes off his shoes because he realizes this is sacred ground. Everything we engage in, it's sacred ground, has the potential for God to speak to me in this, has the potential for kingdom transformation in this. So I will take off my shoes. But meanwhile, the rest of us are just like, oh, a burning bush. I'll just eat some blackberries off of it. That was weird. I'm sorry. Uh, The power and potency of the kingdom of God is all around us. Every common, ordinary thing is packed with us. And so many of us just dismiss it. We take what's sweet, what we think we can get, but we never really acknowledge the holiness of the sacred and sacredness of the ordinary moments and the kingdom power of the every day. And this is what King Jesus did. He brought his kingdom to the small, common, and ordinary places. Now, previous to Jesus' arrival, an announcement that the kingdom of God had come near there was this understanding that the presence of God didn't dwell in ordinary, everyday things. It was, it was way too rare for that. It was way too precious for that. It was way too holy for that. And so the presence of God was understood to only have dwelled in the temple. And not just in all the temple, but the holy of holies. And only the highest of priests could enter into the presence of God, could enter into the Holy of Holies. And this place was protected by this very thick curtain to make sure people knew who was in and who was out and that God's presence remained protected and reserved in that place. But now Jesus enters the earth and he was born to poor nobodies, He grew up in a backwater town that had a reputation for nothing good coming from it. There was nothing attractive that would have, like, made us pay attention to him. He picks fishermen as followers. He tells the recipients of the most amazing miracles to be quiet and don't tell anybody. He moves away from the crowds. He talks about seeds 
and sheeps, sheeps, sheep, and widows and prodigal sons. And the moment of his glorification was actually a moment of horrification. And when he died, the Gospel of Matthew tells us something unthinkable happened. That when he took his last breath, the curtain that divided the holies of holies from the rest of the world, that separated that which was common and small and insignificant from that which was valuable and special and precious and powerful, that that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And in that moment, kingdom, power, and potency, which was once reserved for only the sacred, got into everything ordinary, everything small, everything that seemed like nothing, now had the ability to turn into the kingdom of God. So, you've just been handed a pair of kingdom glasses to help you see that the common, small, ordinary things in your life are actually so much more. And so what are you going to do? Jesus' invitation is to repent and believe the good news, to believe that this is true. And remember, when Jesus says repent, it's not like, now start flogging yourself. Like, you need to go after that. We, we attach baggage to it that Jesus never meant to attach. What Jesus meant then was directionally turn, like turn around. You were walking in the direction of dismissing the common and ordinary and insignificant things. And Jesus is calling you to repent, to turn around, to hear that they actually matter and begin to see them differently, that they hold kingdom potential. And he's asking you to do like a double take, like you're going in this direction. No, none of those things matter. I'm looking for the important. Wait, what? Wait, what? Spending daily time with my heavenly father, that seems ordinary. That matters. Taking time to sit down with my neighbor or my kid, with my husband, to listen and learn about them, that, that that matters. Those are just, do a double take. Turn and look again and believe the good news that the kingdom of God is here, that it's in these ordinary small things right around us, that in them is this potential power of the kingdom that God is inviting you into. And he's invited all of the people who have heard this message over the past 2,000 years, repent and believe. So here's my question that I want you to think about. And I actually want you to think about, and I want you to sort of talk about it with the people right around you. What are the daily, small, ordinary practices and habits or people that hold kingdom power, that hold kingdom potential. Now, you may be like, well, they're small and ordinary. I don't know. <laughs> I'm asking you to wager a guess. I'm asking you to put on those glasses for just a second and practice thinking and seeing what are the things that I have overlooked that I need to start paying attention to that I need to like do a double take and be like, no, I need to take this serious, ordinary, insignificant thing seriously. 
Does that make sense? Does that question make sense? All right, I'm going to invite you to just have a brief conversation with those around you about what you think that might be, what God might be placing on your heart. All right, go. All right, you guys have one more minute. All right, 30 seconds. Perfect. All right, that was less than 30 seconds, but you murmured, so it was, it was my, my hint that we were done. <laughs> Here's what I want to invite you to do. Again, these posters around the room, which if you haven't figured it out yet, these are staying up for the duration of our series. 
in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and what I'm hoping to do is to begin to collect the things that we have spied in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. To begin to create a list of the places that we have spied the kingdom and to write them down. And so my request for you is that during this next song in an act of worship, that you would take one of the markers that's on the white table and that you would actually write down the daily, small, ordinary practice or habit or people that you believe that God has placed on your heart that holds this kingdom power, that holds this kingdom potential, and write those down. Now, not only like do we believe that God uses all of those ordinary things, but also how cool would it be to have this list of all these things and six weeks from now be able to see like, oh my gosh, that seems super insignificant, but actually that grew into something big. That actually became, I see the king. I didn't, wasn't sure, like maybe kingdom, maybe not, but now it's a mustard plant. It's getting invasive. It's taking over. It's setting me free from the things that once held me captive. And so during this next song, as we sing together, as we worship our heavenly father who has come near to us, my invitation to you is to write those things on those posters as an act of like faith, as an act of believing the good news that God is doing something in that small, ordinary, everyday thing. And then to join us again to worship this God who transforms everything and is transforming our world. Will you pray with me? Father God, I'm so grateful that you chose a mustard seed, that your kingdom is so near that we bump into it daily. I am so grateful that you are not far off when it comes to our deliverance, when it comes to our hope, when it comes to our rescue. You are near and you're doing things in these small hidden ways that we may not be able to see, but your presence has gotten into everything. God, would you give us eyes to see you would you give us eyes to see your kingdom? Would we begin to become alert and awakened to the ways that you are moving? That you might light us afire. We pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.